The Jewish views on revelations of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. As the plot thickens, what does the community want done about it? Remembering our East End roots, all in the name of charity, as we find out about Manor UK's annual soup walk and the award-winning organisation who takes the paperweight off your shoulders. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish news this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. The Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has announced a series of new measures to combat anti-Semitism in his party. He told the Jewish News that he'll propose a new code of conduct on anti-Semitism and other forms of racism, which will include guidance on acceptable behaviour and use of language. At the same time, he announced the establishment of an inquiry to be chaired by the former Director of Liberty, Shami Chakrabarti, which separately will look into anti-Semitism and racism. Mr Corbyn's been under increasing pressure since action was taken against MP Naz Shah and Ken Livingstone over comments they made. It comes as Labour's Sadiq Khan has said his party needs to act far more decisively over allegations of anti-Semitism and that the leadership should undergo training on the subject. He went on to comment that there are Jewish Londoners who feel the Labour Party is no longer for them. The chairwoman of Labour Friends of Israel has called for the suspension of UK government aid to Palestinian civil servants amid claims that funds are being used to pay salaries for terrorists. Joan Ryan said there should be an investigation following claims from the Palestinian Media Watch, which apparently found evidence that the Palestinian Authority has gone back on its pledge to stop such payments. The parents of Leora Rosenberg have paid tribute to their 20-year-old daughter, who's died after suffering a bleed to the brain and pneumonia. Leora, a former JFS pupil from Hendon, had been critically ill in hospital for more than a week. Writing on a Facebook page set up in her name, her mother Lauren thanked everyone for their amazing support and prayers. Friends and family set up an online donations page, asking people to raise money for ambulance charity Hatsola in Leora's name. That's already surpassed £20,000. And finally, the Daily Mail's astrologer Jonathan Kainer has died following a suspected heart attack. He was 58. Some 12 million people around the world read his horoscopes, which were translated into many different languages. That's the news. Now the sport with Andrew Sherwood. Thanks, Vivian. North London Raiders will be looking to secure their first ever League and Cup treble on Sunday afternoon when they take on Hendon in the Peter Morrison Trophy Final. The Raiders retained their Premier Division title last Sunday morning and face a Hendon side, who are the only other team to have won a Jewish football treble. Meanwhile, Chigwell Athletic were crowned Division 1 Masters champions in what was just their second season in the league. They can secure a League and Cup double of their own if they beat Brady in the Henry Swerner Masters Cup final. Elsewhere, with the French Open and Wimbledon Championships fast approaching, Diego Schwartzman claimed his first ATP tennis title. The Argentine won the Istanbul Open, though was denied the doubles title to go alongside his singles win, as he was beaten by Israeli Dudi Sella and Italian Flavio Coppola. Remember, you can catch up on all the latest Jewish sports at www.jewishnews.co.uk. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Welcome along to this week's edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off, as we always do, with a look through your copy of this week's edition of The Jewish News. Joining me in the studio to go through it is news editor Justin Cohen and features editor Fran Wolfish. Welcome to you both. 
Justin, I suppose as ever we should start on the front page and I'm guessing that we could hazard a guess what's on the front page this week. Is it by any chance anything to do with the Labour Party? Is there any other story in town this week? I'm guessing not. It's been an absolutely extraordinary week really in Jewish news world. Headlines that are making the top headlines for us are also the top headlines for the national media throughout this week, really. I've been away, or I tried to go away for a few days at the end of last week uh, on the day that the Naz Shah story broke. And as you can imagine, those four days away were not exactly very restful. It all began, as I said, with the suspension of Naz Shah last week. Then Ken Livingstone took to the airwaves to defend her and in doing so decided that he was going to say that Hitler was a Zionist. Not often we've heard that in, in Britain. And he also was suspended subsequently. And that's set in motion a whole series of events, really. Uh, he, he was universally, I would say, condemned. But there was increasing pressure on Jeremy Corbyn to take further action to show how serious he was about tackling the problem of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. As a result of that, he revealed exclusively to the Jewish News that he was launching an inquiry into anti-Semitism and also introducing a new code of conduct to the next meeting of the Labour NEC. Anyway, there's been so much reaction to this. I wouldn't say it's been universally welcomed. In fact, there are many, many questions that still remain about the inquiry. For example, who else is going to be on the panel? It's going to be led by Shami Chakrabarti, formerly of Liberty. The vice chair is going to be Professor David Feldman of the Pears Institute on Antisemitism. But what we don't know is who they're going to be supported by, uh, what other commissioners. We also haven't yet seen any kind of terms of reference And there are specific concerns, I have to say, around David Feldman, the fact that he's a signatory to an organisation called the Independent Jewish Voices. And they this week released a statement that suggested some allegations of anti-Semitism in recent times have been disingenuous. So immediately questions are raised uh, about his participation. And as I said, the community hasn't universally welcomed this. It's been a very cautious reaction to it, to the extent that the Jewish Leadership Council, interestingly, released a statement immediately after Shabbat last weekend saying that they welcome it and subsequently reissued that statement saying that they simply noted the inquiry. I think overall it's got to be considered to be a step forward. It does have the potential to do something, but I think many, many questions still remain to be answered. There are, but considering that this time last week we weren't in a position of knowing that there's going to be an inquiry launched, considering this time last week that all of the the comments hit the fan, I shall put it that way, shall we say, and also we were at this position last week where we, we just so, I think everyone was so disheartened and so really... I suppose gobsmacked is the best way of putting it, that in 21st century Britain, that it was even possible to think that a main political party, even buried deep within, had some root like this lurking within it. And I think that considering now that we we do know that they are taking it very seriously, that members of the Labour Party have subsequently been suspended pending investigation, I believe that it does hopefully demonstrate that Labour are taking it seriously and with any luck they will begin to resolve what frankly has clearly proven to be a major, major issue. I think the worrying thing about all of this from my point of view as a a voter trying to weigh up whether I should go with one party or another, quite clearly if I was going to consider Labour right now, I would be thinking who else is there? Who else is left? There's this kind of 
can of worms that's been opened up. We don't know who else is going to be jumping out of it. What's going to happen next week? The events of the last fortnight have really shown that there are so many of these politicians who have certain types of ideologies and opinions that clearly don't sit very well in today's society. You can't hold racist views and be involved in politics. Well, you'd like to think you can't be. Well, exactly. But it's just, it's a good thing that it's out in the open, but it does make me very wary about who else is out there. Can I ask, when you say who else is left, I just want to clarify, when you say who else is left, you mean left-leaning or left to vote for? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Well, in terms of left to vote for. Left to vote for, right. Okay. There are obviously other news stories. I know it doesn't feel like it, but there are other news stories in the paper this week. And we did mention in last week's programme about the community rallying together and praying for Leora. Uh, Leora was, of course, uh, the the young lady who unfortunately suffered a bleed to the brain. And unfortunately, we learned that she did not survive. So what have we got in the paper about her this week? Yes, well, former JFS people, Leora Rosenberg, who was just 20 when she passed away on Saturday. It's a very tragic, very sad story. The amazing thing is 14,000 people came together from all over the world, from all over the community, and from across many different religions as well, not just Jewish people came together to firstly pray for Leora and now to do mitzvahs in her in the merit of her so everyone's been rallying together and the plan is to try and raise a hundred thousand pounds for a new ambulance for Hutzola I think this is you know it's a very worthy very fantastic cause that they're trying to raise this money they've raised I believe 30,000 pounds so far and good luck to them they've got a a just giving page as well so I really do hope that they manage to do this mitzvah and you know it's a lovely way to honor her memory well I was going to say I I think if one believes in the concept of everything happens for a reason however horrible this story is and it is utterly ghastly for her family especially when it was so unexpected maybe the good to come out of it is that others will benefit from fundraising through her story. Ben Helfcott, the, of course, Holocaust survivor, has also featured in the newspaper this week. What has he been doing? I believe he's been honoured, has he not? He has indeed. He was part of a celebration for the 45 Aid Society that he helped to set up many decades ago when he came to Britain as a refugee after the Holocaust. He's been able to run this organisation, to continue to, to be in charge of it for all these years. He now has actually handed over to the next generation, to the second generation, also to the third generation. But before he did so, there was an opportunity for fellow survivors and others to pay tribute to him. And there was a, a red book presented, a this is your life type of, of, of event. Was Michael Aspel there though? He was, or Eamon Andrews, really. depending on how old you are. Uh, sadly, not. No, no. It was it was Rob Rinder in in his place. Oh, Robert Rinder. Uh, okay, Robert Rinder, the Judge Rinder. But there wasn't just uh, the book. There was also uh, some singing presented by Karen Pollock and Olivia Marks Warden of the Holocaust Educational Trust and the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust. And they think they probably this was their debut singing, if I'm not mistaken. Well, both of them have featured on this program, and I have to say that I never got a a snifter of either of them being able to sing but it's very exciting it would be interesting to hear how their voices do fare I'm not sure if there's any further indication that they can sing I, oh. I don't think they'll be giving up the day jobs I'm afraid oh okay well, well maybe we'll ask them about that but of course if they do want to release a single and, and give us the exclusive well, we'll be happy to feature it I'm sure 
Well, speaking of singing, someone who can sing is Dana International, and she is featuring, I believe, in a celebration for Yum Hearts Mods. What's she doing? That's right. She's coming over next week for the ZF Yum Hearts Mod party in London. Celebrate, obviously, one of the biggest, well, the biggest day probably the in the Israeli day. calendar. And of course, Donna International is known probably best as being a Eurovision winner. She won on 9th of May, 1998. Interestingly, well, well, I was there, not quite there, not inside the building, but I remember it was held in Birmingham and I was a student at Birmingham ah. at the time. Would they not let you in? No, they wouldn't, sadly. But yeah. I was watching it from a student bar with all my friends and it was very exciting for me to see. Well, obviously, Britain had absolutely no chance. So I decided to throw my support behind Israel because they <laughs> seem to be you know, going up and up and... It was amazing. It was an amazing atmosphere when Israel won. Afterwards, all the Israeli and Jewish students spilled out onto the streets and were celebrating in Birmingham with Donna International. So it was quite a day or night even to remember. And I think that now is the time where we're allowed to confess whether or not we are in favour of Eurovision or not. I personally, I love it. I don't know why I do, but I, I actually love, love Eurovision. it. I do. I really do. I understand it when people throw Eurovision parties. I think it's great. If you could see the look on Justin Cohen's face right now, oh, how horrified disgusted. he looks at the thought of two of his colleagues could even think of liking it. Are you not a fan, Justin? I've watched it a couple of times. I'm not a regular viewer. Right. I'd like to see the Israeli entrance. Okay. Well, there you go. I'll go with that. I'll I think that. even if we break Brexit, there will still always be a place in people's hearts for Eurovision and bringing Europe together just for that one moment of awful entertainment. Indeed. One night. It's just, it's fantastic. You've got to watch it. You can't miss it. Well, there I think lies the concern of many a person listening to this. If we Brexit, how will we renegotiate Eurovision? <laughs> still, though, just before we wrap up this edition of the paper review, Justin, there's another big date for the calendar coming up. What's occurring? That's right. Uh, this Sunday, the 8th of May, we've got the annual Yom HaShoah National Commemoration. Last year, for the first time, it was held at Alliance Park in Hendon. And this year, they're returning, hoping to recreate those kind of numbers. I have to say, Yom HaShoah UK has done amazingly to get together the coalition of organisations they have uh, across the board to support this. And it's still possible, I understand, to get tickets at uh, yomhashoah.org.uk slash national event. The whole thing gets underway at two o'clock and I think it's a, a must attend event really. You're listening to The Jewish Views. Don't forget you can always pick up your copy of The Jewish News every Thursday across London or you can always read the e-version at jewishnews.co.uk. As you've been hearing, the problem for anti-Semitism within the Labour Party continues to unfold, with yet more members being suspended, an official inquiry being launched and various figureheads calling for the resignation of key members of the party. At this stage, I would like to say that we did invite the Labour Party to take part in this programme, but understandably their focus was on the local elections that took place over the last week. However, the invitation is an open one and any future editions of the Jewish Views that they would like to comment on, they would be most welcome to do so. The Labour Party have, however, given us a statement to read from their leader, Jeremy Corbyn MP. It reads as follows. Labour is an anti-racist party to its core and has a long and proud history of standing against racism, including anti-Semitism. I have campaigned against racism all my life and the Jewish community has been at the heart of the Labour Party and progressive politics in Britain for more than a 100 years. 
We have taken decisive action over allegations of anti-Semitism since I became leader, suspending all those involved from membership, and have set up an inquiry under Baroness Royale into reports of anti-Semitism in the Oxford University Labour Club and elsewhere. I am now proposing to Labour's National Executive Committee that it adopts a code of conduct on anti-Semitism and other forms of racism, and establishing an inquiry into tackling anti-Semitism and other forms of racism, under the former Director of Liberty, Shami Chakrabarti. There is no place for anti-Semitism or any form of racism in the Labour Party or anywhere in society, and we will make sure that our party is a welcoming home to members of all communities. Well, there you go. We will obviously keep you posted on further developments as the weeks progress. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Still to come on this edition, Clive Roslin will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive and Adam will be joined by journalist and author Jeremy Havadi and actor and photographer Tony Honigberg. They'll be discussing what you've been hearing about, anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. Plus, Dan Atoman will be finding out about the award-winning organisation Paperweight. Now, we British Jews are obviously known for our East End heritage, and the charity Manor UK recognised this and have decided to turn it into a fundraising idea in the form of an annual walk. They call it their Soup Walk. It explores the historic roots of the community, and it would take place this year on Sunday the 15th of May. Kate Fulton has been finding out more about this for us by speaking to Gabrielle Blauer from Manamea Panim. And she started by asking him what exactly is it his organisation does. First of all, Meir Panim is a charity that was established 15 years ago in Israel to fight poverty in Israel. There are huge numbers of poor people. We speak about 1.7 million even more of the population who live below the poverty line, which is 22%. And uh, MANA is the name here in the UK. We just rebranded and relaunched uh, two years ago. The whole idea was since Meir Panima, two words in Hebrew, and people were always asking what's the definition. And uh, we thought that since the charity is basically about providing food, helping poor people, MANA, MANA from heaven, it does make sense. And therefore, our new name here is MANA. But I still keep Meir Panim because people know us as Meir Panim and we are raising money for the Meir Panim charity in Israel. So, so you essentially are giving food to people, presumably if it's manna from heaven. And who are the recipients? Who are the beneficiaries? First of all, it's not just food. It's mainly food. It's also trying to take people out of poverty, make themselves sufficient. So it's after school clubs and also some tools just to help them either to find job or even some education but it's mainly food and it's for children families and holocaust survivors i mean especially today to speak about holocaust survivors holocaust memorial day i mean there are about 180,000 holocaust survivors who still live in israel and a third of them live below the poverty line i mean it's it's crazy it's it's shocking i'm an israeli for i'm sometimes ashamed but we have to help these people some of them are just eating leftovers from the ground uh, picking them up at the end of the market day some of them whom I've visited just eat bread and potatoes. So these people definitely need help. And 15 or 20% of our clients are Holocaust survivors. And how do they find out about you? Was- Usually it's, they are referred by the local authorities, local welfare bureaus. But also uh, Mir Panim is quite established in Israel, 15 years. And we have food centers, Jerusalem, 
צפת, טבריה, חיפה, דימונה, אור עקיבא, people know about us, but usually, whether it's a special program like food card or something else, they are referred by local welfare bureaus. The problem in Israel is that local welfare bureaus are in different areas, but usually they don't really have much budget or they have nothing really to offer, so they need charities like us just to help them. So we are like, in some cases, even the, the, the real welfare bureau in some cities. And why aren't they, these people receiving what we would call benefits? Even if they receive, one of the major problems in Israel is the cost of living. I mean, everybody who goes on a trip, goes on a holiday, can see it's so expensive there. And uh, some people just live from 3,000 shekels, I mean 500 pounds, and there's no way you can live from it. So, number one. Number two, in the UK, if you're over 60 or 65, you get free medication, you get free public transportation, not in Israel. I see my mother, she's 86, thank God she's fine, but still she has to spend a few hundred shekels every month on the medication. So just think about an elderly couple, even Holocaust survivor, who gets from the government or from Germany, pension, whatever, 3,000, 3,500 shekels. There's no way you can live from it. You have to spend money on medication, on rent, and then food is a luxury. Also, you eat only potato or bread. People may be wondering, there are a lot of organizations like you. Mm-hmm. What makes yours different? First of all, there are many because the, the problem is huge. And the many charities, even those who are not primary dealing with poverty issue, are also helping with food parcels, are helping with, because it's a huge problem. Um, we are there to help as many people as we can. We uh, ask an international uh, audit company, BDO, to check our accounts just so the donors know that everything is, is properly done. We are uh, every year, and you can go to our website and see how much we raise each year and how do we spend it and on what. And you see that, for example, the overheads are even less than 10% in Israel, which is something that I think is quite uh, remarkable. It is impressive. So, uh, We are very transparent and uh, people can come and see and even if they don't trust us, they can give directly or buy food directly. I mean, we are trying to, to be as transparent as possible. And you have a big event coming up. Tell us a bit yes, about that. It's an event that we are doing for the sixth year in a row. The whole idea was from the beginning to try be a bit different, to try to offer something that others don't offer. There are many walks, but uh, there's only one soup walk. The whole idea was... To connect also people to our work in Israel. We have soup kitchens slash food centers. We don't like so much the term soup kitchens. It's more a food center and it looks like a restaurant. In a very dignified way, we're helping people. And there used to be soup kitchens here in the East End. So the whole idea was to do a 10K sponsored evening guided walk in the place where there used to be soup kitchen here and that in that way to connect people to our work now in Israel. At the end of this three hours walk, each one receive a cup of warm soup at Sandy Rose Synagogue. Usually it's donated. This event is every year sponsored. Jewish News are one of the sponsors. Lev uh, Properties, Mamila, Me Too Food are donating the, the food. It's a very nice event. Usually we have between 30-50 people and sometimes there is 10,000 pounds on the night. And all the money this year will go to help our two new after-school clubs in Sterot, 400 youth at risk in Sterot. I don't think I have to say too much about Sterot. Any help we can 
give these children there, I mean, is is so important. So, and what what will the after school care be like? What sort of the things are you providing? The after school club will be a safe environment for the kids. One of them will be in a shelter from the afternoon till the evening, and it will provide them tools that some of them don't have at home. Help with homework, help with English, math, computers. Try to give them the tools that will enable them to get out of poverty, not to become the second or third generation of poverty. And if any of our listeners would like to join the walk, how fit do you have to be? Well, Is it a fast walk? First of all, I'm doing it, so I believe anyone can. <laughs> I'm last looking year, at you, Gabriel, really you look fit. Yeah, well, I look. <laughs> we had last year a girl who celebrated her bat mitzvah 12 during the walk. We had someone who was over 80. I mean, it, it's, it's not a marathon, it's not a race. How many miles does it cover? It's six miles and usually we stop because we have an amazing guide with us, John Steele, who stops in different, this area is full of and rich of Jewish history. So we stop from time to time. And I mean, it, it takes two and a half, three hours. I believe almost everyone can do it. I mean, from the age of 10 till 120 maybe. And how many soup kitchens did there used to be? How did you find out about it? First of all, I, I heard about it, I read about it, and we also, every year of visiting one, there's a place where you see, still see the sign. Here there used to be a soup kitchen for poor Jewish people, and we always stop near the sign. I think it's Brunel Street or something. But, I mean, I read the history, I, I heard about it, and I, I try to think differently to offer something a bit different, unique, and also to connect it to our work today in Israel. So I think the combination is uh, there. Is there a minimum sponsorship? We ask each one to uh, pay £20 to participate and then to raise a minimum of 80 But usually most of the uh, participants raise more. So that's how uh, we usually uh, are reaching 10000 Depends on how many people we have. And uh, And how are you spreading the word? Apart from coming here. Uh, coming here, for example, <laughs> thanks to the Jewish News, uh, we have at least two ads there and uh, using social media, uh, sending it out. Uh, usually um, I'm trying not to spend money on advertisements, so I'm trying all kinds of ways. Uh, and to, do you to... think you'll get children as well? Usually it's 10, above 10 years old, I would say, 10, 12. I mean, yeah, because of, the, because of the six miles. First of all, and secondly, it's 7 till 10, and it's a Sunday, and usually on Monday morning they have to wake up quite early. So uh, so just for anybody listening who would like to join, how do they get details? How do they find out about it? First of all, they can uh, go to our website, which is uh, www.manauk, M-A-N-A-U-K, Dot org, or they can email me info at manauk.org. Well, good luck with it yeah, and thank walking you very boots much. on. Thank you for thank the you. opportunity. Thank you. Gabrielle Blauer from Mana Mea Panim talking to Kate Fulton there about their forthcoming soup walk, which takes place Sunday the 15th of May. And if you would like more information or you would like to take part, then you can always go to manauk, or one word, dot org. If you would like to get involved, we would love to hear your Jewish views. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash Jewish Views or on Twitter. We are at Jewish Views UK.
Now, those of you with a keen online eye might have noticed something a little bit different about the Jewish News's website. It's had a snazzy new facelift, and to find out more about the new site and what it has to offer, I've been speaking to our friends and colleagues Richard Ferrer and Justin Cohen. I started by asking Richard to tell us what exactly has happened to the new Jewish News website. To paraphrase one of my daughter's favourite nursery rhymes, if you go down to the web today, you're in for a big surprise. The Jewish News has relaunched this week. We have a whole new cutting-edge website. It is not only the best Jewish news website I'd wager in Britain, if not Europe. It's one of the best news websites in the world. It's a state-of-the-art piece of technology in a digital partnership that we've launched with Times of Israel, which is one of the leading news brands online. We now have access to their 20 million monthly users. We have a cutting-edge blogging platform with uh, an array of lots of different voices. I think we've launched with about 70 or 80 blogs. They're all there. There's video content, audio. Obviously, the Jewish views will live on the new website and be open to a whole new audience across Israel, America, and across the wider world. So it's basically launching the Jewish News brand as a digital product in a way that it's never been seen before online. It's a whole new chapter for Jewish media and for the Jewish News. And just to clarify that this is not necessarily to replace the paper, the paper will still continue? Uh, no, 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 no. Let me hasten to add this has got absolutely nothing to do with the future prosperity of the Jewish news, which continues to add on readers. And we plan to up the circulation and distribution of that product as well. This goes hand in hand. I think for many years, newspapers, not just our own, have obviously toyed and battled with how they were going to balance their digital product with their print product. And this gives us an opportunity, I think, to have the two in harness together. We've got a seven day a week product online digitally. And now we've got obviously the flagship product which remains the Jewish news, the newspaper that everybody seeks out and enjoys every Thursday and through the week. So digital through the week and the newspaper at the end of the week gives a full package for our readers throughout seven days. So does this mean that your workload has been considerably upped, Justin? There will be extra work, I'm sure. We'll, we'll want to keep this site, particularly now we've got a new site that's so shiny, uh, as, as up-to-date and, uh, and as quick with the news as is possible. With our continuing small staff, you know, we haven't got a massive newsroom uh, that's been added with the site. But I think what, something I would like to say is we're, we're working with the Times of Israel here, but they are two entirely separate sites. So in terms of the day-to-day editorial decisions, uh, they will still be taken uh, ultimately by Rich. Uh, and, and in the Times of Israel's case by David Horowitz. And it's great to be working with someone like David, a former Brit, someone that's really been a trailblazer in the world of, uh, of digital with the launch of Times of Israel just four years ago. Uh, it's grown out of all uh, recognition and is now the, I think, largest Jewish media online outlet in the world. And, and you know, they're also working with a digital platform called uh, RGB Media, and they're really at the cutting edge of stuff. So as, as the Times of Israel, moves so will we move so it's very exciting yeah as as you'll see the more you come to the website everything changes constantly our previous website and so many news websites are so constrained in their templates everything has to kind of fit in like a jigsaw and nothing really changes the website will evolve and create and be designed just like a newspaper so a big story breaks and suddenly it will just completely take over the home page with lots of video links and click-throughs and additional content and information it's a whole new way of looking at internet 
internet journalism and RGB Media, which is the company behind the look and feel of the product, they really, I think, champion this new concept of digital journalism. And we're really excited to harness it. And just to clarify, I assume some things stay the same. Stilljewishnews.co.uk? Stilljewishnews.co.uk to get to the homepage, yes. Our friends and colleagues are Richard Ferrer and Justin Cohen telling us about the new look, jewishnews.co.uk. Now, an award-winning organisation called the Paperweight Trust was set up to help those going through a crisis with their household administration. It was founded by Bela Perrin and Benjamin Conway, amongst others. And Diana Toman has been finding out more about this for us. She started by asking Bela for the history of the trust. So we saw that there were people around us, sadly friends or people that, people that we knew, who had found themselves in situations where they were well and truly alone, where they were vulnerable, and whether they needed, when they needed practical help of the sort that wasn't available within the community through any of the other existing organisations. So we're not talking here in terms of counselling, which is available in many guises from many other organisations and individuals, but practical help when it came to paperwork, form filling, helping those who are becoming older, frailer, unable to help themselves to remain in their homes rather than having to go into a home because they couldn't manage to to live by themselves to cope with the ongoing domestic administrative things that paperwork that's part of today's society. It's not so simple as it used to be. The government talk constantly about helping the elderly, but help, helping the mentally infirm to be able to stay at home to be able to cope and to be able to fend for themselves and they help with some of the physical aspects of this by sending in carers people to help shower and such like but not when it came to all the practical matters or those alone through so many different instances sadly those going through divorce divorces on the rise at the moment people separating and they don't know what the next steps are it's a long and tedious process of court hearings, of paperwork, of form filling, of knowing what you're going to face, what's ahead of you, as well as all the horrendous form filling that's got to be Indeed. taken into consideration. And, so, and Benjamin, when Baylor says we formed this group, who, who is we? Was it just a group of friends or, or, or what? The, the, or whom rather? There was an initial idea, if you like, a spark of a suggestion that there was a, a need to concentrate on the practicalities of helping people. There are plenty of organisations dealing with the caring aspect or the social aspect, but the practical aspect appeared to us to be missing. And we, if you like, dipped our toe in the water in terms of testing out to see if there was a need. And perhaps unsurprisingly, we were very quickly almost washed over with a huge need across the entire spectrum of the community. And by community, we're talking about the Jews, aren't we here? Because yes. after having read your website quite extensively today, and it's extremely impressive, the amount of help you. you give, and an astonishing number of different categories, of both social and legal and benefits and housing and everything Indeed. else, the thing that struck me straight away was that you're the Jewish equivalent of the Citizens Advice Bureau. That's if I exactly. Put it like that. <laughs> that's that's that is exactly, you know, the cab offices are closing in many areas due to cutbacks. And also it can be very daunting for somebody uh, in a vulnerable situation to actually have to go to the cab office and ask for help. It's a huge step for somebody 
just to leave the house, to be able to take all their paperwork with them, to be able to go to a stranger and ask for that help. The cab offices are sort of perhaps not the most welcoming, whereas we go into people's homes so I gather. where they have everything to hand, where they don't have to panic that they're leaving their homes without the most important document that's probably been left on the kitchen table. Um, sometimes people's filing can be all over the house and it, it's quite difficult for them to do that. And we think that most of the people that come to us, if they'd have to go to an office or a bureau somewhere, perhaps wouldn't access the help as easily as if we come to them so they feel at home and they feel at ease and we can make them feel comfortable. And slowly but surely, as you get to know them, you can get to the crux of the issues and help them. When we started off, we had an initial group of six people who we recruited. Five years later, we now have nearly 100 all volunteers? All volunteers. No paid staff nobody. at all? No paid staff nobody. whatsoever? No, nobody. no paid staff at all? No, no. That's no. not to say that we don't have expenses as an organisation, because of course we do. We recently moved into our first office in October, having taken it literally off the kitchen table. So you must have had to rely on donations? We do rely on some donations, and we, we've been lucky enough to have a couple of grants, and we need to actually think about fundraising. Our time is taken up with this almost 24-6. As Benji said, we started with about six of us and, you know, slowly, slowly the first year we probably had about eight clients and now we're sort of well, well into the hundreds of clients that we've helped. Hundreds of clients. Hundreds All of over clients. London? All across, All London. across London. Yes, across London. Right. Yes. And I noticed that you conduct what you call a triage yes. system. Well, that's when the client first comes in mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. find, or you go and visit them, or when they're referred to you to yes. find out what exactly... They most That's need. Correct. Yes. But then you might pass them on to a specialist, a well, lawyer, that, that, an accountant. Now, those, right. would those people have to be paid? All of our volunteers give their time freely. And it's interesting to note that we've clearly hit, hit a note uh, with the members of the community because our caseworkers come from all the professions, um, solicitors, accountants, barristers, judges, judges insurance IFAs, brokers, IFAs, as well as people who are simply um, have the ability to deal with administration, bureaucracy and not scared by filling in forms and meeting, meeting the people. The man in the suit. Now, I've been told that you've just won an award. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> Not before time, I suspect. Well, it was very lovely and a lo wonderful surprise to find that we'd been nominated for the Barnet Civic Award for uh, organisations or for individuals or organisations who work within the community and who volunteer to help the community and that we were a recipient of this just a couple of weeks ago. So we met in the town hall and it was very lovely and it was lovely to be recognised and we received the award on behalf of everybody and that's not meaning to sound like the Oscars at all but every one of our volunteers who gives their time so freely and so readily, often at very short notice from one moment to the next to go and see somebody just to literally take the weight off that person's shoulders so that that person can sleep that night and for no other reason other than wanting to help and understanding and putting themselves with empathy and sympathy for that individual astounds us all the time and the more stories we read about the work that they're doing within our clients we're we're just amazed every time every time we read them and how ready they are to help to every sense of their ability whether it's a client that just needs one 
a meeting or whether it's a client that needs quite a lot of attention over sometimes maybe even a couple of years yes. until the client has the confidence to carry on by themselves. Yes, of course. The, so, the, the recognition has yeah. been, although it's nice to see it from obviously from Lana Barabarnet, but the recognition we've seen over many years because whilst clients do call us to refer themselves and ask themselves for, the, for help for themselves, our clients come to us from all the other communal organisations across the entire community. They are themselves referring their clients to us because we are carrying out work which they're not touching on. Baylor Perrin and Benjamin Conway talking to Diana Toman there. And if you would like more information, whether that be to donate or to obtain help, then you can always go to paperweighttrust.com. I'd also like to mention that the Paperweight Trust are currently looking for runners or walkers to take part in Maccabi UK Fun Run on Sunday the 19th of June. If you are interested, then again, do go to the Paperweight Trust website, which is paperweighttrust.com forward slash events. You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. And joining Adam Bradley and me today are journalist and author Jeremy Havadi and actor and photographer Tony Honigberg. The subject today is based on the only topic on everyone's lips at the moment, allegations of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. We've heard throughout the programme about various members of the party having been suspended pending investigations into their comments and attitude towards Jews and Israel. So we're not going to talk about individual cases, but what we are going to ask is, what do we want to see Labour do about this? And there's just one little point I'd like to make. It's quite interesting because I don't suppose many of you will remember this. Well, two of you certainly won't, but there was a time when there were no Conservative members of Parliament at all, and people thought of the Conservative Party being slightly anti-Semitic, and everybody was pro-Labour and voting Labour until a certain man called Sir Keith Joseph became uh, an MP and the Conservatives suddenly decided that Jews really were quite nice people. And it's, so it's very interesting to see what's happened now. Anyway, let's uh, get into the discussion. And Jeremy, let's start with you. First of all, what we need to see is that Labour is actually acknowledging this as a crisis. The Labour leadership has essentially said there is no crisis, which unfortunately is an illustration of precisely the problem that we're actually in. So there's, there's got to be an acknowledgement that there is a deep-seated problem, not just actually within the Labour Party, but within the Labour movement, primarily when it comes to this whole subject of Israel, the Middle East and Zionism. And I think while we would obviously not wish at all to stifle any legitimate debate on the Middle East conflict and on Israel, it's got to be understood that there has been a terrible conflation between legitimate criticism of Israeli policies and Israeli leaders and outright demonization and hysteria. And that's what they've got to start by acknowledging, that when you call for a country to be literally transported off the map to the United... You know, when you call for Israel to be transported to the US, which means that, you know, Israeli Jews effectively get transported, when you call for Israel to be destroyed, when you liken Israel to its worst, the Jewish people's worst enemy, i.e. Nazi Germany, when you say these things, you're not in any way engaging in legitimate criticism. You're engaging in an outright attempt at delegitimization and demonization. It's pure hysteria. And of course, people will draw all kinds of, of parallels between that kind of language and, and uh, anti-Semitism. So I think there's got to be a recognition of the problem here, which is how, how freely 
the left has demonised Israel using holy incendiary language. They've got to actually just fess up to that problem. And I, I suspect, unfortunately, that this inquiry that's going to take place is not going to necessarily get to the root of that problem. Tony? I sort of half agree with what Jeremy says there, but the, the problem has always, always been there. I, th- I think sometimes people forget that without Jewish people, I don't think the Socialist Party, the current Labour Party, you would have actually really got off the ground because Jews generally that came in were socialists. Some were communists, as we know. A lot were communists. Absolutely. And, and, and because Jews had the money, they, they could actually fund the, the, the Labour Party. As you said, the first conservative Jew was Sir Keith Joseph. Prior to that, my, my grandparents voted Labour. You know, because because they looked after Jewish people. And in those days, I guess there wasn't an underlying thing about anti-Semitism. There certainly wasn't a thing about anti-Zionism because Israel didn't exist in those days. And I think the current Labour left, I think, have forgotten the fact that that Jewish people were very prominent in starting the Labour Party. I do think we need to be careful here by saying the Labour left, and I know everyone's mentioned that, it is not the Labour left, it is part of the Labour left. It, I mean, they're... Well, Labour traditionally are left anyway, aren't they? They are, but you can't tie the entire party, which is how it comes across when we say it's the Labour party, it's the left, when it's not. It is actually, historically, it's a fringe that we're talking about here, that prior to Jeremy Corbyn becoming leader of the opposition, who really had even heard of him? let alone really understood his beliefs and, and thoughts because what he would say, what his beliefs and what he, he his message he wanted to get across to people, he didn't have a platform. No. So now that he has that platform, it's actually these views and opinions that have always skirted around the edge of the party are now sent in the centre of the party. We, we, had the, we had the same problem with Michael Foote, I remember, because he was also that far to the left. I think he was pro-Jewish in many ways and a, and a fascinating politician and a delightful man. I'm, this is name-dropping, but I was, I was able to meet him on one occasion and was the most delightful man and a very intellectual mind. But it was a different sort of left in those days, I suppose. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's a different left because the the, the left had a whole different attitude towards socialism, pretty much. Whereas now socialism is such an acceptable... It's it's more mild than it was. So socialism now is looking after people, um, you know, making sure that people with disabilities have financial benefits and all these kind of looking after one another. Interrupt you, but that was always the case with socialism. That's what it's, it was, but it, it's not so much as an entire movement of the entire country. It's, it, it's more s- gentle steps that people can find socialism a bit more accessible. Ecological issues, things like that, looking after the planet. That, that, that's kind of... You know what you're going to get when somebody... Is a socialist nowadays. It's not so hardcore as it was. So but it's, it's also much true more acceptable. Of, of the Tories. I mean, you, it is, if you like, that's Blairism mm. that you're talking about. Yeah, it is. It is so to a degree. It's a much softer version of how it was. Yes. And I think that people now relate the two. Now, now Jeremy Corbyn, for example, he will bring these issues to the fore. And it's the fact that they are now being brought to the fore that's, that people are getting so worried about. 
it's not the actual, not necessarily the issues that he stands for, because we don't actually know his personal opinions on Jews or Israel. They need to actually understand that when you are issuing a double standard against the world's only Jewish state, people are entitled to ask questions about the motivation and about what in effect that amounts to. There is an anti-empirical issue here with the left and it and and that anti-empirical issue roots from the usa with vietnam the cold war and israel are <laughs> the, coming on the back of it they are they yeah. are yes. the the america's yeah. but, but we, we also prodigy. mustn't confuse anti-zionism with anti anti-semitism there is a crossover i know but uh, but a lot of the issues certainly where they're talking about israel i think is I don't think it's against Jews as such. I think it's it's against the state of Israel and it's a, a Zionist state. And I think that becomes anti-Zionism rather than anti-Semitism as a whole piece. There is a fine line. That it's a very fine and line. And there are, in fact, you're define. absolutely right, because there are, and I know some, there are some Jews who are anti-Zionist. Yeah. Yes, yeah, of course absolutely. there are. Yeah. Yeah. So I th I, one has to be fair about that. Utterly fair. We've also got an issue here is if we, if we try to do something about it, are we then in the dangers of cutting freedom of speech? Which is another thing we don't want to do because then it, we can't fight it. If we, if we don't know who's talking... But, but freedom of speech say. comes with knowledge of what the words you're using are. And yeah. if we don't know what the words are meant to say, what is the difference between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism? No, you're absolutely right yeah. about that. It's, a, it's well, a very fine line. We don't know. And we don't know when someone says anti-Zionism what they actually mean. And that's where we get so into we should trouble be allowed, with accusing people. So we should then we should go back know. and ask them what do they actually mean and, and, I and get them to expand this, on this, and I'd love to hear all your opinions on this, this is the crux of the, the issue here. What do we do? Do we come out and just castigate against the Labour Party, against uh, everyone involved in this? Or do we need to be a bit more clever about this? Do we need to actually find out what do they believe? Well, that's we what I think. We don't really know. Yes, we've heard the sound bites. Probably. It has to be said that, in fact, there's only a small number of Labour Party members who have this, if you like, have come out, come out with this anti-Semitic Alleged anti-Semitic and yeah. and and the majority of them, I'm sure, are as pro-Jewish or accept Judaism as much as anybody else does. So I think one has to be completely fair about it. But the Labour Party is at the moment in dire straits because of the few people, the few people that have said something that, and have been suspended. Mm. To be fair, they've yeah. all been suspended, and they're going to look into it. I think the issue is obviously there. There have been over the last ten, fifteen, twenty years MPs across all the parties and I'm actually including UKIP here as well, even though they're not a mainstream party, that have engaged in, you know, incendiary language, whether it's against Israel, the Zionist lobby, or in some cases just against Jews generally. What you look for in every case has to be sound leadership. You've got to have a clear message from the top that certain language is totally unacceptable, it's not helpful, it's poisonous, and so on. So who is going to hold them accountable and how are they going to be held accountable? Okay, I, I dare say that the people who will hold uh, Labour to account are the electorate, depending obviously on the elections. Well, the fact remains that the majority of members of the Labour Party are not anti-Semitic, are not as left-wing, and things may well change hmm. in the next few years, years or whatever. I mean, there and are still Jews in the Labour Party of still, oh, many. still supporting, many. voting for them. But a, I a, lot, think a lot of Jews have pulled funding away from the they Labour have, Party. They have, but I actually 
I don't think they should. No. I, I, I think those Jews are vital You've Jewish got to fight people within. in the Labour Party. And it's not even a fight. I think they need to, for example, the investigation. That needs to be watched. There needs to be, you know, that needs there to be There needs to be control. There needs there to be something. Need well, the fact is they certainly are doing that. I mean, it, if you read any of the, of the national newspapers, they will show you. There are pictures of the people that they have been suspended from mm. the Labour Party and they're trying, they're going, looking into it and they're going to do something about it. So I think one has to be fair and give them the chance to do and, that. And yeah, let's see where, yeah. where that comes, I, I mean, guess. I always find it terribly frustrating when discussing any kind of issue, often about Israel on, online, on social media, wherever, that people don't seem to quite understand what Israel's about, what the Jewish ethos is there. And, and I think it's often a lack of knowledge in the same way that we hold opinions on other communities and races and religions because, because we, we don't, don't have that knowledge i think it's it's incumbent upon those jewish labor members to educate these people of course we always think discourse is the I, first way way to tackle i was with, with a with a few people this week uh, on an acting job and they all know i'm jewish and one guy said you're the only jewish person i know and i don't really understand what's going on and, and we had over lunch. We had a sit down discussion about Judaism and everything else, and Israel and, and bits and pieces. And by the end of it, he said, "You know, you've given me an insight here. I, I now can understand what what it's all about." Mm. And it's interesting because there must be so many of these people that don't know anybody Jewish, have never been to Israel. A lot of the writers who are vitriolic have never been to Israel. They've never seen what's going on. Israel doesn't get it right all the time, but nobody does. Well, yeah. Israel is, And then is, they criticise. As we said before, Israel is, has very bad public relations and uh, people get the wrong point of view quite often. Yeah. But I think what, it is only fair to say that we will deal with this in the best possible way and find out who is doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in every political party and yeah. indeed in councils as Absolutely. well because yeah. the people, Labour Party people who have been suspended from local councils, councils including yeah. mayors and people. Jeremy, as a writer, do you find that your writing has changed with this? Because obviously you have to address this presumably and you have to obviously show a great deal of sensitivity to the subject, but at the same time, I'd imagine there's some burning opinions and passions inside you. I mean, how are you doing that, coping with that? You've, well, as a writer, understanding the legal framework as well, around defamation, you naturally have to be extremely careful when it comes to sensitive allegations like anti-Semitism or anything similar to that. And that, that applies as much when you're doing broadcasting as when you're actually writing for a publication. So in the sense that you've got to be very careful because of that, those legal obligations, yes. But at the same time, as long as you have the facts at your disposal, as long as you're quoting people accurately, and as long as you are sensitive to the context in which they're writing, I think you should write with a burning anger and you should write with an intensity. So the accuracy should not in any way be affected. But at the same time, you're really ensuring that something that is of fundamental importance is addressed. That's a very good way to end the discussion. Thank you very much indeed. My thanks to our guests, journalist and author Jeremy Havadi and actor and photographer Tony Honigberg. And it's time now for our rabbinic thought for the week. And this time it comes from Rabbi Michael Evendovit from Edgware Masorti Synagogue. One of the toughest subjects to understand regarding the Shoah is the subject of God, divine justice. Where was God during the Shoah? And the Jewish people have developed several models to try to explain this. 
First one is what I call the biblical model on punishment. In the Bible, everything is very clear. If there is a punishment, if somebody is suffering, it's because there have been some sin that the person committed. So what will be the sin in this case that reacted to, to such a harsh punishment? So the people that claim this model say that maybe what's the sin was assimilation, and other people claim that the sin was actually Zionism, and that God was angry and therefore sent the Shoah. On the other side of the spectrum, we have the existentialist model that claimed very clearly that God died in Auschwitz, that until then we still were clinging to this hope that we matter, that we are important, that we're special in the world, but the whole idea of God and the chosen people and Israel as, as a special people in the world died in Auschwitz. Then we have what I call the Aaron model. Aaron, the priest, actually in this week's Parsha, is mourning the death of his sons. And the Torahs tell us that Aaron's response was silence. By a dumb Aaron, he just kept silent, unable to cope or to say anything, to do anything in front of this tragedy. Many people believe that in front of the tragedy of the Shoah, the only reasonable response is silence. Then we have the model that was developed by American rabbi called Harold Kushner. He says that when something bad happens to good people, it's not because God is bad. He uses the story of Yov to tell us that God can be just, God can be truth, God can be all-powerful, but cannot be all of them at the same time. Because sometimes people suffer and we believe that God is good, then we must believe that God is not all-powerful in order to help these people. So sometimes when we ask, where is God? So God is next to the people that are suffering, but not able to change their situation. And at last, we have a different model, the model of the sacredness of free will. In this case, we do believe that God is all-powerful, but we believe that sometimes God chooses not to intervene that God chooses not doing something active to change the situation in order to preserve the free will of the people and in this way give meaning to human experience. A life when everything is dictated from above and we don't really choose our destiny is a life that is completely void of meaning and being human will be meaningless. Therefore, the prize for our free will is at the same time our capability to do evil. Thank you to Rabbi Michael Evan David from Edgware Mazorti Synagogue with our thought for the week. And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thanks to our guests, Gabrielle Blauer, Bela Perrin and Benjamin Conway. Thanks also to the Schmooze team, Jeremy Havardi and Tony Honigberg. And of course, you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget to thank our team, including our producers, Adam Bradley and Sue Greenberg. You can always download the most recent editions of The Jewish Views by visiting the Jewish News website, jewishnews.co.uk. And you can search for us in iTunes. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News and is part recorded at the studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.